0: Good morning. Good morning. Uh, before I do a scripture reading, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Danielle Stopek, and if anyone has heard anyone pray for Danielle, that's me. Um, uh, I was diagnosed with uh, stage four colon cancer in October, and I just want to say a huge thank you to anyone and everyone who's been praying for me, because God has been lifting me up the whole time and keeping me in His hand, and it's just been an amazing journey. So, anyway. Uh, let's do the scripture reading deuteronomy 4 to 6 take care lest you forget the covenant covenant that yahweh your god made with you when you bear children and children's children and grow old in the land and you act corruptly by doing what is evil in the eyes of yahweh your god i'm calling both the heavens and the earth as witness against you today that you'll completely perish your days won't be long on the land For Yahweh will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where Yahweh will drive you. And from there, you will seek Yahweh your God, and you will find him, when you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. In the latter days, you will return to Yahweh your God, and you will hearken to his voice. For Yahweh your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you, or destroy you, or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. For ask whether such a great thing as this has ever happened. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard and still live? Or did a God attempt to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation, like Yahweh your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that Yahweh is God. There is none other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might educate you. And on earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their seed after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, know therefore today and lay it to your heart that Yahweh is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. And you shall keep his instructions and his commands, which I'm telling each of you today, which will be good for you and for your children after you. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, Israel, the instructions and the judgments that I am giving you today. You shall learn them and protect them so as to do them. Yahweh our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Yahweh didn't make this covenant just with our fathers, for it's with us, us together here today, all of us who are alive. Yahweh spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between Yahweh and you at that time to declare to you the word of Yahweh. He said, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slaves. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as Yahweh your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to Yahweh your God. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, Yahweh your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as Yahweh your God commanded you, that it may go well with you in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. These words Yahweh spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, out of the mists of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice. And he added no more, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules, that Yahweh your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them, that you may be in awe of Yahweh your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I am commanding you. Now you, Israel, shall both hear and take care to do which will be good for you. Hear, Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You will bind them as a sign on your hand, and they'll be as frontlets between your eyes. You will write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates.
1: I want to uh, thank all of you for being here today and sharing this time. I apologize for the, the coolness of the building we've had work being done on the building and something went awry that we have been not been able to fix uh very quickly certainly not as quickly as i wanted to and uh and so we've we have very very low intensity heat in the building so that it doesn't really keep things uh, warm especially on a cold day like today so hope that everything will be back in operation in the proper way uh by by next sunday so um please look forward to that. It's, um, it's a, a, a wonderful um, and terrible time of year, as, as Emily called our attention to the fact of, of the one-year the, uh, one year anniversary of the war in, in Ukraine. But also this last uh, Wednesday was uh, Ash Wednesday and uh, the beginning of that time of meditation um, that Walter uh, mentioned. That leads up to uh, the the uh, celebration of of the the last week of Jesus' life, the confrontation as he comes to Jerusalem and confronts the temple, uh, the triumphal entry all the way through his crucifixion and his his resurrection, and that that is such a central part of all that we are that it is um, it's worth thinking about, meditating on in many different ways as we do uh, each year as, as we go along. I want to thank Danielle for the beautiful reading of this long passage of Scripture that you have on, on your notes. If you have not gotten the notes for, th- for this, the message today, raise your hand, and I hope someone at the back will, will uh, distribute one to you. It's a passage of Scripture that goes for a page and a half and fairly small type, and it runs through three three chapters of Scripture from Deuteronomy, and uh, you know, one might say, Tom, that's just too much, and and it really is. It's really too much. Uh, but i wanted to 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 have this context of Scripture and to see kind of the flow of it as we as we go along. As you'll notice at the top of the page, uh, the front side of the page, it says Deuteronomy four through six selections abridged so there's a lot more there that you can look up as you in your Bible and looking up uh, chapters 4 through six of Deuteronomy great passages of of scripture and um, and please do that and and I've marked I think most of the spots where I've elided something left some words out by uh, giving you the three three dots in the text and all of that sort of thing so that so that we can follow uh, along through all of of this we've started uh in uh these last few few times of of my messages thinking about how god meets his people how god meets us in all kinds of ways and just in the whole reality of creation and so forth that's where we started and then uh went over into the uh into uh, genesis 4 and there that that troubling but also hopeful story of Cain and uh, Abel and all of that, and and how God, even when someone has totally broken everything, still it, it has a kind of steadfastness with him to protect him, and so on. Then, more uh, coming down the, the line of the stories in, in Genesis, we came to, to Abraham, the idea of, of God calling people to a to, to, to leave behind things, to a quest, to go out into, into the world. And that story continues on down, as you remember, through through Genesis until we get to through uh, not only Abraham, but Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's sons and Joseph going down into Egypt. And that looks so good because it saves so many lives as Joseph goes down into Egypt. But it ends up, as we go into the book of Exodus, that the people are caught there and away from the land that God had promised to Abraham they're in a kind of exile just like like Cain went off into exile in the in the land of Nod the land of wandering and they are in not only in exile but in slavery there and we have the unfolding then of the central portion of the the story of course of the whole Old Testament namely the story of the of the Exodus with Moses at the center of that. Moses, this one uh, who has had all kinds of advantages but left that uh, because he was found and then reared by Pharaoh's daughter, but he left that behind uh, in order to identify with his own people and he finds himself in exile out in the wilderness of, uh, a, 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 of Midian. And there God confronts him and calls him back to deliver the people, in, in, um, uh, the people of Israel from, from the land of Egypt and from their slavery and, and so forth. And that begins yet another wandering story as they leave behind one kind of exile, but they go almost, well, it's not intended, at least it seems not to be intended to be an exile. It's going to be a journey straight to the promised land, but as you know, it, it doesn't work out quite that way. And they get to Mount Sinai, and there they have the giving of the law of God through Moses to them. This happens, uh, who knows exactly, the the dates are very difficult to know, but approximately in about 1275 B.C. And uh, just to give a kind of framework of the passage of time. And there on that mountain of Mount Sinai, God... <clears throat> gives them uh, the law, some of the law, that what turns out to be the the whole law, and um, and also gives them instructions for the building of a a movable place of worshiping the God who is on the move with Abraham and on the move with. Moses on the move with the people of, of Israel. They build a tabernacle, a tent, a movable temple. But also there's all, along with that, there's this other stuff that happens, the, the golden calf, even as they get the law immediately, even before it comes to them, they break the law. And, and so we see the, the tension between these two sides of what God is doing with the people. They, they head out from, from Sinai and head toward, Canaan, they can go right in, but they want to spy out the land. Moses sends in the spies to see what the land is like, but the report comes back that it's such a strong place that they'll never be able to overcome it. And that's one of the problems that Israel has all the way through this time is that they, they know about what God has done for them in the past, but they can, can't bring themselves to believe that God will continue to do wonderful things for them in the future. And so they refuse to go in at first until God tells them that, "Ah, well, that means that you're going to be in exile. You're going to be wandering through this wilderness for 40 years. Ah, Then they want to go in. They want to go in. They want to go in. We'll go. We'll go. We'll go. go, But it's too late. And so they do wander through the wilderness for 40 years since the time of of the exodus. And that brings us down finally as one goes through the books of Numbers and of course some of Leviticus telling some of the story and and on down to Deuteronomy where we are. We could, If we wanted to focus on the law, we could have focused just on Exodus and done that uh, to some extent before. But today I wanted to sort of move to another place in the giving of the law and God's covenant with his people. Namely to the end of that wandering in the in the wilderness, as they come right up to the gate of Canaan, so to speak. To, to the, they're just before they're reaching the river Jordan to cross over into it. And Moses has been told that he cannot enter it. But he gives these speeches to the to the people of Israel. He gives them what we have in our Bibles as a Deuteronomy, deutero meaning second and nomos meaning law, second law, second giving of the law. And so we have it it encapsulated, but from now, from a different kind of point of view, from the way it was given at at Mount Sinai, where it was given with all the instructions about the tabernacle were given and, and the book of the covenant and all of those kinds of things that were given at Mount Sinai. They've traveled now for 40 years And as you remember the story, one of the purposes of that 40 years was that every single one of the grown men who could fight in their army at the time that they left the land of of Egypt has now died. And there is substantially a whole new generation of Israel that is there to uh, to cross over into the land of, of, of Canaan. So, we're, if that was 1275 when we were at Mount Sinai, it's now about 1235, uh, 40 years later. And, and Moses is at the end of his, his life, but he is strong and gives this series of speeches that we find in the book of Deuteronomy uh, that, that reencapsulate, reinterpret to some extent the, the law that was given at Mount Sinai. Point it, make it pointed for the people now at this particular time well the story of course continues and they go over into the land of Canaan we have the what is usually just simply described as the the conquest of Canaan the stories that we find in the book of Joshua and then there's this long period of of kind of disorder and con, a continual cycle of them being oppressed by nations all around them but then a judge is, is found who can deliver them and they come back to God because because their their oppression has been caused by their sinfulness and so forth and we go through the whole period of of the judges after that the story continues as it goes along through the through the kings king Saul king David king Solomon and then the divided kingdom and the north goes one way and the south Judah goes another way as as the kingdom is divided and by the time we reach the year 722 the the, the the northern tribes have been lost, taken into permanent exile by the Assyrians. And it's not going so well down in the south either because you have kings like Manasseh who are so corrupted that they basically give over the worship of Israel to the Assyrian gods and so forth. But then you have someone like, well, you have first Hezekiah, a great Lamp that shines out, but then Josiah, and Josiah is especially important for the study of Deuteronomy. He is a king who, as we're told in in, uh, in Second uh, Second Kings, that he served God with his whole heart, and with his whole soul, and with his whole strength, and he once get back to that devotion to God that was supposed to be the identity of the people of Israel. Well, the temple has been so corrupted that it is just in shambles and they start the rebuilding and renewal of the temple. And lo and behold, one of the things that happens is that they find a book of the law. And um, we don't know exactly what this is, it's certified by a prophet named Huldah, she's a, a prophet for Israel and she tells about the, that this is indeed God's law and so forth. It's usually thought to be one of the first writings of the, of the book of Deuteronomy as all of these traditions that have been told for so many years about Moses giving these speeches at the time of the coming into the land are written down. And read to the king and to the, all of those around him. And they cannot believe it. They don't even know about so many of these things. They the law has been lost to them. And they have a Passover. And it says in in Second Kings that there had not been a Passover like that since the time of the judges. Whew, that's a long time. We're now in about the year 620, 621, something like that. Think back year 1235 was when Moses gave these speeches, and now they finally take written form and and are found and become the basis for a renewal and restoration. But there's all this ways this dark side of it too that even as Huldah the prophet tells them that this is indeed the law of God she says but it's gone so far the corruption of the people the corruption of the land the corruption of, of, of Israel of Judah that destruction can't be stopped And so as one goes along, Josiah, as it turns out, is the last really independent king of of Judah, the last in the line of David that comes down. After him, they're always under the thumb of somebody from Egypt at first and then, then Babylon and then it goes on to Persia and then to the Greeks and so on all the way down to the Romans by the time we get to the New Testament. There is not really any time when there is a true descendant of David that's on the throne after Josiah, though they do have some vassal kings that are there. And in the midst of that, there is this time when Babylon comes and attacks and destroys the temple, 586 B.C. And already the process has begun of taking all of the leaders of Judah into exile and they are off in babylon and the temple is in shambles and jerusalem is in shambles and the whole the people are in shambles as it is but in that situation of exile and all the Horror, the negativity that 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 brings, with the loss of the temple, the loss of the kingdom, the loss of self-government, the loss of identity, of being slaves once again, or at least being captives once again, to a uh, to a foreign power. It's there that this process that had that had brought together those traditions about about Moses into the Book of Deuteronomy, the early stages of that book. They go on and bring together so many of the other traditions and by the time we reach about 550, these books of the Torah, the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy are put together. Not that those traditions have not been around for ages, but they are put together and written down and they become scripture. They become something that the people can read and know and use to to, uh, define their, their lives. And so that's the character of Deuteronomy as we come and read it. It is this ancient tradition, a deep tradition, now written, but then sort of like the gospels, the Gospel of Mark is written and then Matthew and Luke expand on it, so Deuteronomy seems to have been expanded. And you find within the book of Deuteronomy kind of references and side references and sometimes quite explicit references to the situation of the people in, in exile. It's that expansion in exile as it becomes part of Scripture to define God's people. And in that process, Israel regains its identity in that exile, seeking God with heart and soul. And that's what is there is one of the reasons I wanted to include this section from chapter 4, verses 23 to, through 31. It, you would think that Moses, as he was talking to the people as they're just about to go in, would be all encouragement. But it's very striking all the way through. That Moses doesn't have any, any thought that this, is, that this whole thing that he's been doing with the people is actually going to work as far as the people are concerned. They are going to fall down. They are going to forget. They are going to turn away. And it's going to come to a bad end. So where we start is take care lest you forget the covenant that Yahweh your God made with you. When you have children and children's children, you grow old in the land, you act corruptly, you make make idols, as they certainly did. You do what's evil in the eyes of Yahweh. I'm calling heaven and earth to witness against you. You won't survive long, you will perish. And then verse 27, for Yahweh will scatter you among the peoples. You will be left few in number among the nations, like in that vast empire of Babylon where Yahweh will drive you. but the surprising thing, at least to me is verse 29 there of chapter 4 verse uh, the, the section that's marked on your sheet is 4:23 to 31 verse 29 from there in the exile, not not when they were strong and had their own king and kingdom, not when they were running everything and thought of themselves as invincible because they thought God would protect them always, but from there, when you, as it were, hit bottom, when you were in exile, there you will seek Yahweh your God and you will find him. When you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul, It reminds you perhaps of one of the most famous passages of of Jeremiah in, in chapter 29 as he urges the people to seek God and to find him, search for him with all their heart and soul. In the latter days, he says, you'll return to Yahweh your God and you'll hearken to his voice. For Yahweh your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore uh, to them. God is always going to be there, like with Cain, even though Cain is wandering in the far off regions of wandering, still God's protection is there with him. And even more so now with God's people, even when they have thrown away everything under Manasseh, when they have corrupted the temple so that They don't even know that the law exists. You will return. You'll seek God. And God will come to you and hearken to you. And so the idea that is here as we we are in this book of Deuteronomy, it is that of that search, that quest, that discovering of God and discovering him to be merciful and faithful to his covenant that he's going to stay with his people even when they have gone to the rock bottom as it were of all that they that they um, have 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 done and could do over against God and as one then moves through this these er, this early section of of Deuteronomy as Moses is talking to the people it not only has that dark element it's not just all enthusiasm and we're going to go in there and we're going to conquer these people and we're going to be so strong and we're going to be so good and we've got God on our side and everything's going to be wonderful it's much more we're going to go through the darkness and there is where we will find our dependence and what our real strength is and so as one comes to the the next section chapter 4 verses 32 to 40 and um there, you read that section, you see where the commandments that are going to come to, uh, that we're going to come to in a, in a little bit, the Ten Commandments and other commandments are there. What they are for. And Moses says, just, just think about it. The, the, the whole basis of all of this is teaching. It is this fundamental teaching. The teaching about God. And bringing you to see and to know, to sense in your deepest being about God. And this, this is, uh, so it, he introduces this. It's going to be the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. And maybe the second and the third as well. It's also going to be there in the Shema, the hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And here it, it begins leading into that, that you are in people who have been put in a position to know Ask, has any such a great thing ever happened to anybody else that they have heard the living God speak to them out of a fire and they still stayed alive? You can imagine maybe a lightning strike that destroys them. But God that speaks to them so powerfully and yet preserves them. And then just think what's happened to you, Israel. Do you have a story anywhere of a God that goes and takes his little people, his big people, his people for the whole world as out of a group of slaves that are inside the control of another powerful nation. Did any God ever attempt to do that and take for himself as God did for you? God has shown himself to them in a way that they could understand so that they could, in their own terms, See God's uniqueness, his uniqueness for people. And we've seen that all along. We've seen it as God came to Abraham, as he came in the Exodus itself, at Mount Sinai, and so forth. And the aim of all of that is education. To you, it was shown, that is what God has done for them, that you might know that Yahweh is God. There is none other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might train you, that he might educate you. And on earth he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. Now maybe not everybody would be impressed by that but this was exactly what Israel needed at that time. And because he loved your father's and chose their seed after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence and by his own power. Know therefore today, lay it to your heart that Yahweh is God in the heavens above and on earth beneath. There is no other. So you shall keep his instructions, his commands, which I'm telling each of you today, which will be good for you and for your children after you. That education that God wants them to see something that now it's hard to find among the nations of the earth. In fact, it's impossible to find. All around the other nations have their own gods and all of those gods are human gods. They're gods within the structure of of the world. They're gods within nature. They, in fact, are often human powers, enslaving powers, the, the deification of the king and so on. And so it is that the idea that, 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 that uh, Moses is saying there are no other gods is not true. I mean, Moses is not saying there are no other gods. But the other gods are not God. People worship all kinds of things. People in our own day worship all kinds of things, from the power that brings about a war in Ukraine to the, the money that we follow day by day in our own lives to all kinds of elements of our lives that define us, our ethnicity, our family, our race, our uh, you know, structures of control, and all kinds of things that we we worship and give our lives for. But those gods are not God, there is only one, and that God acts first in love. He loved your fathers and chose their seed, and he he promises to them and gives them his own power, his own presence, his own deliverance so that Israel and the world may learn, may learn. It's for this perceiving of something that could not be or i don't know whether it could have been but was not done for the world as a whole but done through abraham through this line of god revealing himself one god beyond everything the basis of all existence but at the same time pervading all and this god loving his creation and loving his his people and so as one, we have to hasten on, have one uh, goes forward in, in this series of, of, of texts to the, the next text that uh, starts with Deuteronomy 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 and, and following. Um, there it starts off in this interesting and striking way as Moses is... They're about to go into the land of, uh, or the people are there about to go into the land of Canaan. Moses will not go. Moses summons all the people there and talks to them, gives them these instructions that they are to learn and to guard them, to protect them as so as to do them. But this striking statement that runs here and through the whole Bible, Yahweh our God, verse 2, Chapter 5 verse 2 Yahweh our God made a covenant With us At Horeb That is Mount Sinai Another name for Mount Sinai But then Yahweh didn't Make this covenant Just with our fathers It actually just says He didn't make this covenant with our fathers I put in the just Sort of there to Sort of get the flow of the idea This covenant was not Our father's covenant. So that somehow it's in the past. For it's with us. That's what the covenant is. It's with us. Those who were born after the exodus. And then it just piles up the words. Us together here today. All of us who are alive. Yahweh spoke with you face-to-face at the mountain. In other words, you weren't born yet, but God was speaking to you face-to-face on that mountain, Mount Sinai, out of the midst of the fire. And Yahweh took care of you by giving you an intercessor, a mediator between. I, Moses, stood between Yahweh and you at that time to declare to you the word of Yahweh and that leads into the the ten commandments but just notice how important and how striking this is that there the the covenant is given always new to every generation god made a covenant with abraham and so forth and that goes on down isaac jacob so on the people that were caught in slavery thought that it that all kind of elapsed. But now they were brought to Mount Sinai and they made a covenant. But then they messed everything up and they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And a new generation has emerged. And Moses says very explicitly, the covenant that was at Sinai is with you. But Deuteronomy, as you watch Deuteronomy on through this history that we've just talked about a moment ago... It's also there with Josiah 600 years later. It's there in the exile as they're bringing together Deuteronomy as part of scripture for the people. It's always new again and again. This idea that at every stage, the one God meets new people in their moment, the moment that they are alive and they are living and they need to know. It's new with Jesus, it's there with him. It's new at Pentecost with the spirit coming. They learn, they protect, they do. And in this way they learn God as they are educated, directed as the preceding passage was was talking about. And so then out of that, out of this moment now that, that Moses says this was with you, you were standing there Even though you weren't born, you were standing there and God was talking with you face to face at Mount Sinai. Moses then gives the 10, as we usually almost always call it, the 10 commandments. More correctly in Hebrew is the 10 words, 10 statements that mark out this road that they're on. It's the same as the 10 commandments were given in the time of of Mount Sinai in the Book of Exodus in Exodus chapter twenty, but not quite the same. It's refocused. It it has a different point to it as it now comes to a new uh, a, a new group of people, new people that that God meets in their new situation. The st- things that are there are they have the same kind of emphasis. There, just what we had seen in, in that earlier passage in chapter 4, there is one God. There are no human gods. So you uh, you shall have no other God before me. It more literally is, there shall be to you no God in my presence. When you know me, it, it makes every other possible God a non-God. And then you shall have awe at the... Identity, the name of God, not take the name Yahweh in vain. So all of those we recognize from the book of Exodus and so forth and the same emphasis that was, has been emphasized. But then notice the, 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 um, the fourth of the commandments beginning in verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, that's the same so far. As Yahweh your, your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to so Yahweh your God. And then but then down just a little bit. It's rather a long explanation. It doesn't say because I did this in creation. But it says remember that you were a slave. Uh oh. Because... All of the people, the adults there were born after they got out of slavery. But just as Yahweh spoke to them face to face, you remember you were a slave. That condition of your ancestors, that human condition, you were a slave in the land of Egypt and Yahweh your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, Yahweh, your God, commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. God does not command work, work, work. He doesn't make the the work days holy and you should work, work for your living and everything. He commands rest and he wants them to remember it in the context of something that they have not themselves experienced, but that they know is part of their story. You were slaves. I was a slave in Egypt. And so I I respond to what God has has given me. He does not command me work, but he commands rest. Remember slavery. Remember the deliverances of that. Imitate it. Do it for your own workers, your own children, your own self, your own life. Imitate it. Imitate what God has done. And then we won't go through all of the 10 commandments because it's far take far too long to go go into that, but it's they give us this, this um, a, 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 well, sort of, I think of them as kind of giving us a markers a, a, that mark out a, a road as I indicated there in the subtitle there, mark out a road for a good life. It's, it's all within the framework of the kind of life that these people are, are living and in the world and culture that they are. And as one goes through them, one can find over and over again things that are a little bit strange to us. And not, sometimes not a little bit strange, but re- really strange. Honor your father and mother. Great, great commandment. And certainly as a father, I, I really believe in that. But I know there's lots of situations where fathers and mothers have not been good guides for people. Think of the story of Ruth and her father and mother left behind in Moab. And she for, forsakes her family and goes to Israel with, with Naomi and becomes, becomes one of the, a part of the, the line, one of the ancestors of David and so forth. All of these are commands that fit that situation, but even in themselves have uh, within the scriptures critiques with, with them. You shall not murder or you shall not kill. Or which one is it and how do we understand that? What is stealing? Is it, hmm, does this protect all private property, even private property that's gotten by, mm, by questionable ways and so forth? You shall not bear false witness and so on and so forth. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, not your neighbor's spouse, but your neighbor's wife. And it speaks to a structure of society that's patriarchal, in which wives are considered. The property of the husband and so forth parallel to desiring your neighbor's house and his field and his male or female servants and his ox and his donkey or anything that's your neighbors not to mention the fact that Paul in, in Romans 7 uses this very commandment about desiring about coveting as an example of how sin makes use of the commandments in order to destroy us and so that 10 words are wonderful. They are great guidance for the people as they are there on the way, but they are not an abstract ideal. They are within the flow of their own society. And God does not overwhelm them. He speaks these 10 words and he stops. He says no more and he gives them to Moses and Moses mediates it to them. And finally, in just the last few words, we come to the great passage at the end. After the 10 words, There is this focusing of the core of the whole process, training the heart to know God. That's what the commands, even as they are culturally defined and and limited to some extent, what they're about. They're through life to come to know God. God loved, God chose, God delivered, and Israel responds, learning awe before God, learning God's intent, learning to... To, to, to know that God alone is God, and that awe, some often translated as fear of the Lord, is that taking God so seriously that I know that it causes, it causes goosebumps on my body. It causes me to take it entirely seriously. To, to realize that reality is around one, one God. Yahweh is one. All life, all reality is defined by its source. And that God's love, God's choosing of us brings about our love in response. Just as as John would say later on in 1 John. That love of God, God flows from who God is and what God has done. Hear Israel. Yahweh our God. Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your might, all your strength. In the New Testament, when this is quoted, the word heart is more identified with, with emotions than it was at the time that, uh, of Moses in the time of the Old Testament. And it kind of gets split up into heart and mind. So you have in the quotations of it, four of them, heart, soul, strength, and mind. But always looking at that, God is the center of everything, center of your existence, center of everything that exists and all of your deliverance. And out of that, you respond in love. That love encompasses all of life and it brings about good, as it says there in in the words that follow up from that. You need to think about them. You need to teach these things. You need to understand them. You need to reflect on them. You need to realize that this is the world. This is the true world. This is what, what is real. And you live within it. And so we live it. We teach it. We breathe it. It is a life-giving reality as it flows out of that. And so in these early chapters of Deuteronomy, yes, there's the law there. But there's so much more. There is the search for God, the the finding of God, the, the fact that human searching for God is often a failure, but God is always there to rediscover us as we turn to seek for him with our whole heart and the realization that everything is centered around that one God. And so that flows from Moses to Josiah to the exile and on down to someone coming to Jesus and asking, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, doesn't. Doesn't it at all say, oh, they're all the same. He says, this right here, this, this is the greatest commandment. This is the reality, to know that God is one and to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself is the, is the second one. And so one sees this flow. It's how the scriptures work through time as God brings his people to see this different reality as they come to know him. Amen. Let's bow together for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you allow us, Heavenly Father, to hear these words that come from so long ago and have echoed down in ways that sometimes we can even see through the ages, right down to Jesus, right down to us. Allow us to know that that your covenant was made with us, us who are alive today, and that that reality of one God is our reality, and that we know you because of your love and deliverance of us. Help us, Heavenly Father, to be in that same line of your faithfulness and righteousness that Moses was and Josiah was and Isaiah was and, of course, Jesus and all those after him. Help us to learn that we may know you, the one God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing this time. I want us to conclude, if you would, by just reading a few of these words once again. Would you stand? Hear, people of God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And these words that I'm telling you today should be on your heart and you should teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you... Sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, let them be who you are. Amen. 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 Greet one another and go forth to serve.